The Illinois Environmental Protection Agency has awarded $12.6 million to build an initial wave of EV chargers in the state. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Danny Ecker about the Chicago Bears and a potential new layer in their move out of the city and into the suburbs. I think that, you know, you look at Naperville, obviously one intriguing thing is that it's not in Cook County. So, you know, one thing, at least in the real estate world these days, is every time you see a property that's for sale and it's in DuPage County or it's in Lake County, just outside of Cook County, they're saying, hey, big tax advantage here. You're not subject to Fritz Kage and his reassessments. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, June 6th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a WinTrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local WinTrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Danny Ecker here to talk about the Chicago Bears. So you and I have talked many times about the Bears, uh, perhaps moving to Arlington Heights, kind of the status of that. But now Naperville is in the equation. So talk to me about that. Well, uh, kind of out of nowhere, and maybe this was expected by people who were watching this closely, but all of a sudden last week you had news that the mayor, the new mayor of Naperville, had a meeting scheduled with uh, Kevin Warren, the new CEO of the Chicago Bears, saying, hey, let's talk about what you might be able to build here uh, if you're having trouble in Arlington Heights. And the Bears issued a statement uh, late last week saying, yeah, this is not going as quickly uh, and as smoothly as we had hoped in Arlington Heights with this plan for stadium anchored mixed use campus. There could be, you know, five billion dollars and create all kinds of jobs and um, make a massive entertainment complex there in Arlington Heights. They're saying, well, you know, we have to have this conversation with anyone else who's interested. And they kind of issued a statement inviting others to approach them if they want to have a conversation about it. So the big question here is, is this real or is this a play for negotiating leverage? It's very hard to tell, but this comes obviously after the Bears recently acquired the Arlington International Racecourse property. They were just awarded uh, their first demolition permit and they're expecting to start tearing down the grandstand and everything this summer. So I think the Bears basically are just saying, we're still focused on Arlington Heights, but that's not our only focus now. We have a lot we need to get done here, and they want to put some pressure on state lawmakers and Arlington Heights officials to try to get things going. Break down the issue exactly of what's going on in Arlington Heights. You know, part of it is is just around kind of like the tax formula and, and how it would be financed, but, but kind of break that down for us if you would. So there's several different hurdles the Bears want to clear here. The first one really has to do with property taxes. And that came up recently because Fritz Kage, the Cook County assessor, said, hey, this property is worth $197 million, which is what the Bears paid for it recently. That was a giant increase. The previous assessment, when it was owned by Churchill Downs, was about $37 million. 
So they're kind of saying, well, okay, this is not like a functioning racetrack anymore. Why is this worth so much more? And then there was effectively a, a settlement there where they landed on $95 million in terms of the assessed value of the property after going to the Board of Review. Now, this was not the Bears appealing. This was Churchill Downs appealing for their own property taxes. So the Bears don't like that. They say, well, that's you know really a ridiculous increase given the fact that they, when it was a functioning racetrack, were paying a lot less in property taxes. So this should still be a lot lower. That was one thing they said, this needs to be changed. And by the way, as they tear down the grandstand and other buildings that are on the racetrack site today, in theory, it should lower the assessed value anyway. It'll be a vacant site and that will at least lower the carrying costs for the bears for some time. So that's one sticking point in a broader conversation really about property taxes and the future of property taxes there. That's one of the centerpieces of what the bears want to get done. There's a bill in Springfield that's been kicked around for several months and it's likely now pushed to the fall. It is being pushed to the fall that among other things would effectively give the bears a little bit of certainty when it comes to the property taxes that they would be paying in the future with this mixed use campus. There's this thing called PILT, payment in lieu of taxes. Some people call it pilot. It's the same thing. It, the idea is basically that they, they pre-negotiate their property tax payments with the village of Arlington Heights, with local taxing districts, instead of being subject to a reassessment, you know, uh, every you know three years. So it's all about certainty, fixed costs as much as they can in the future so that they can make this whole thing work financially for, for them to be able to move forward. So that's something that still is a big hurdle to clear. And then Beyond that, when we really haven't even gotten into this point yet of the discussion is the infrastructure of the mixed use portion, not the stadium portion. Remember, the Bears said, we don't want any taxpayer subsidy to build this stadium, but we do need it for everything else that we want to build around the stadium, which is a large mixed use campus. Um, and that includes roads and, you know, all kinds of new infrastructure, public infrastructure. They say, hey, this makes sense that the public should be helping shoulder the burden here. We're making a giant investment uh, into this area and it, it's worth it for the village of Arlington Heights and perhaps other taxing districts to to play a role in, in helping shoulder the burden for that. So that's something that is still a, a discussion that's down the road uh, if they can even get past this big hurdle of property taxes and a state bill because that, that PILT or PILOT that requires state legislation to uh, be able to do something like that. So there's still, again, hurdles to clear and the bears consistently say, hey, we, we're taking steps toward the development of this, but we are not certainly going to do it. And they need to be able to keep saying that because they need to have a little bit of leverage to negotiate to say, you know what, we, we would like to do this, but we need some help and we might not do this. And that's, they're going to keep saying that until they can get uh, uh, some of these hurdles out of the way. Even like a week ago, it seemed like demolition was imminent. Some of it even seemed like it was possibly underway within hours of, of reporting on that. And so has that been stalled or has any demo been done at this point in Arlington Heights? They have started on the interior demolition. They basically want to uh, cut off a lot of the utilities, things like that, just lower some of the costs. They have to do that first. Then they start this process of actually demolishing all these physical buildings, which again, probably will take us into the summer. We're not really sure on timing. They haven't really said what their timing is for that, but I think they're hoping to do it sooner rather than later because the sooner they do it, 
the uh, the less the property is worth, and therefore, hopefully, their their carrying costs are much lower. And this is a franchise that really wants to limit their costs. And at this point, I mean, if they're going to entertain, you know, the idea of going to Naperville, do you have a sense from the Bears of where they really want to be? I mean, is there any part of them that wants to stay in the city after all this? Or is it pretty much like we're going to the Burbs no matter what? It's just a matter of which one. I really don't think there is much appeal to them staying in the city. I think that when you look at all the obstacles that come with being at Soldier Field, even if it was dramatically redone just in terms of access and the size of the stadium and and all the efforts that it would take to actually get it done, I, I think the Bears sort of made that decision already, saying given the state of stadiums and the revenue opportunities in and around them, uh, today you can you can do so much more. The upside is so much higher if we are able to create a new stadium. And I think that, you know, you look at Naperville, obviously one intriguing thing is that it's not in Cook County. So, you know, one thing, at least in the real estate world these days, is every time you see a property that's for sale and it's in DuPage County or it's in Lake County, just outside of Cook County, they're saying, hey, big tax advantage here. You're not subject to Fritz Kage and his reassessments. So I think that is one appealing thing about Naperville that it may, may, might at least make them have this conversation. But, you know, the Arlington Heights site is is so appealing because you don't have the nimbyism, you know, not in my backyard uh, group, because it's this has been a large entertainment complex for such a long time that it's not like, hey, this is something we're going to have to get used to again. It's got great public transportation access. It's got great highway access. All those big boxes you need to check in, for, in terms of infrastructure, which is so crucial for these these to succeed, are there. And I think that if you try to pick another site, it's very difficult to find something that's as large as, as, as what the Bears, I think, want to do here in another suburb. So I think there's probably a lot of people going, look, we get it. They, they need to have some leverage in negotiating here and they really want to move this forward, you know, if they can in Arlington Heights. But I think this ultimately is the best site in the suburbs, probably in the area for them. And the fact that they own it now uh, is is obviously a big step in that direction. And, you know, I think that the Bears obviously recognize that they have time on their side. They still have another nine or so years left on their lease at Soldier Field. And that's very important to be able to take their time and not feel like they are negotiating against some sort of deadline to get out of their, their stadium or, or find a place to play. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, I mean, that's a really important point about nimbyism that I don't think is really getting surfaced a lot in the conversation that this was an area that was already a racetrack. So you're not going to have that community pushback. It's not like you're turning a school, you know, into this, uh, you know, sporting event and, and, uh, entertainment complex. This has been an entertainment complex. So it wouldn't be that big a shift. It would just be switching sports really. Right. And anecdotally you hear, from people in Arlington Heights that I think are generally very supportive of this. They, they are interested in having this investment come to their community. They would love to have the Bears, you know, there. It's obviously a massive complex that would um, dramatically change the character of that little area, just given the scope of it. But I think there's uh, just a lot of enthusiasm generally for it. I know there are people that are plenty have plenty of concerns, especially when it comes to the financial piece of this, they people say, well, yeah, we love it, but 
no, we don't want to have a giant tax increase just to be able to fund this. And so that's, I think, where we will start to see more of the tension, at least at the local level, as opposed to down in Springfield, which is where it is now. The local discussion about tax increment financing and other subsidies that could be in play to help make this thing a reality if it gets to that point. I think there's still uh, uh, some, some obstacles to to get around there that the Bears are going to have to work through and, and um, village officials are going to have to work through. So I think the hard part is still, uh, we're really not in the hard part right now, in my opinion. And what kind of timeline are you looking at for, or are you kind of imagining for when we're thinking the, the hardest part of this? How far out are we on that? I think it, it's hard to say because I don't know if we're going to even get to that point until the Springfield issue and this issue with property tax certainty is ironed out. So that could be in the fall or maybe it's later than that. The Bears have probably a few years to play with here to say we we can sit on this, we can own this land. And I mean, look, if this doesn't happen and something completely blows up, the, could the Bears sell it off? There's a lot of industrial developers or other developers that would love to do something with this land. And, you know, maybe the Bears could even be part of that. But I think there's just there's a deal to be had here. You know, and that's where you talk to people who are in this industry and work on stadium deals. There is a deal to be had. I think it's just a matter of uh, people making the right moves and being reasonable and kind of having these discussions to figure out what is a palatable amount of burden for taxpayers and what the Bears need to do. And I think just one thing that is is important to keep in mind about the Bears is that is this, you know, family owned business that has obviously tons of value because of the value of this franchise now, but this is not a family that makes a bunch of out-of-pocket investments in to do something like this. They, they want to protect themselves against you know, massive cost jumps here because they, I, I think they're very concerned about that, whereas you know, maybe owners of some other teams that are independently wealthy from their franchise might not feel that way. So I just think that... Uh, if if there's a recognition on the part of both lawmakers and the Bears about finding ways to make an investment like this happen, I, I feel like the momentum is toward it getting done, despite this Naperville discussion coming up, which I still think it's hard to believe yet to see whether that's something that is real. That was, by the way, it should be noted, the new mayor of Naperville, I mean, just in office as of a, a month or so ago, was the one who reached out to the Bears about this, saying, hey, here you're having trouble with Arlington Heights. We'd love to talk to you about it. And the Bears are going to say, we'll entertain that conversation. Sure, sure. We'll listen to what you have to say about that. Yeah, sure. Lots still to clear. So I'm sure there'll be no shortage of things for us to talk about. So we will check in about this again soon. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks, Amy. Talk to you soon. Coming up, airlines bask in sky-high summer fares, but airports are still stuck. We'll talk about that and more right after this. No matter what industry you're in, the successful design of our shared spaces for work and beyond has become more important than ever. The 54th edition of Neocon, the leading platform for commercial space design, runs June 12th through 14th at the Mart in Chicago. This is the ideal opportunity to find inspiration from top industry professionals and impactful solutions from more than 400 leading and emerging companies from around the world. Find details and register to attend at neocon.com.
Crane's John Pletz reported that Illinois is taking the first step toward expanding the network of charging stations that will be needed to fuel the massive shift toward widespread use of electric vehicles. The Illinois Environmental Protection Agency has awarded $12.6 million to 10 companies, mainly gas station and electric vehicle charging operators, to build 87 new public plug-in stations that will have 387 fast charging ports. Illinois currently has 1,156 public EV charging stations with just under 2,900 charging ports, according to federal data. That number is up from 900 charging stations about 18 months ago, but nowhere near the 40,000 ports that experts estimate will be needed to support the 1 million EVs that Governor J.B. Pritzker envisions on the state's roads by the end of the decade. The initial wave of chargers announced by the Illinois EPA is being paid for by part of the state's share of a nationwide settlement with Volkswagen for violating emissions standards. The state has another $70 million from the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act passed in 2021, along with $148 million of federally funded build-out of EV chargers. Pletz reported that the biggest winner in the first round of grants is Universal EV, a company based in Plano, Texas, which builds charging stations for hotels, including Marriott, Hilton, and IHG. The company will receive $5.9 million from the state to build chargers across the suburbs and the state, from Rockford to Collinsville and Peoria to Champaign. Fuel station operators, which stand to see gas sales dwindle over time in the shift to EVs in the coming decades, also saw gains. Pilot Travel Centers and Love's Travel Stops each received $960,000. Schomburg-based Road Ranger, which operates truck stops and travel centers, as well as convenience store operator GPM Midwest, each received $480,000. Others in the mix include BP's EV charging subsidiary BP Pulse and EV charging company ChargePoint Holdings, which received $960,000 each. Francis Energy, based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, also got 480000 Pletz noted in reporting that Illinois got a head start on the EV transition with a clean energy bill that included rebates for car purchases and infrastructure funding before Congress weighed in with its own programs. The Illinois EPA provided $80,000 per charging station, which reportedly will cover 40 to 50 percent of the estimated cost of installation of some stations. The Illinois Department of Transportation, which will oversee the federal program, recently put out a request for information to gauge vendor interests. Federal guidelines call for charging stations to be placed every 50 miles and no greater than one mile from the designated corridor. About 80% of EV charging is done at home, but that's a challenge in cities like Chicago where many residents live in high-rises or other buildings that can't be easily equipped with chargers. Let's further noted that the federal government is also providing $2.5 billion in grants with an emphasis on underserved and disadvantaged communities in both urban and rural areas. Crane's Albie Galoon reported that the owner of two data centers in Elk Grove Village is selling a majority stake in the properties. A transaction financed with $450 million in debt, making it one of the biggest local tech real estate deals in years. Digital Realty Trust, an Austin, Texas-based real estate investment trust, is selling the majority interest in neighboring buildings to GI Partners, a San Francisco-based private equity firm, according to people familiar with the transaction 
who spoke with Cranes. The deal highlights the continued strength of the data center sector amid the growth of cloud computing, even amid a broader slowdown in the commercial real estate market. Galoon noted that Digital Realty and GI are financing the deal with a 10-year, $450 million fixed-rate loan from three banks, Barclays, Citigroup, and Morgan Stanley, according to Commercial Mortgage Alert, a trade publication that first reported the transaction. The banks plan to securitize the debt, repackaging it into commercial mortgage-backed securities or bonds, and selling them off to investors, according to reporting from the publication. Founded in 2001, GI is a diversified private equity firm owning more than $33 billion in assets. The firm formed Digital Realty and took the REIT public in 2004. Digital Realty, meanwhile, is one of the biggest data center owners in the world and certainly in the Chicago area. It owns 10 properties locally, including a massive data center in the former printing plant near McCormick Place. But Galoon also noted in reporting that Elk Grove Village has emerged as a hub for data centers. Elk Grove Mayor Craig Johnson boasts that it's, quote, the data center capital of the Midwest, with 11 data centers operating in the suburb last year. Developers have launched more projects there since then. One also broke ground last year on a $2.5 billion project nearby on the former United Airlines headquarters site in Mount Prospect. According to a recent report from Green Street, a California research firm, with the rise of streaming and cloud computing, data center landlords are prospering in the U.S. and abroad, with vacancies at record lows. In other reporting from Crane's Danny Ecker, Golub Capital is searching for a company to take a big piece of its Wacker Drive workspace off its hands, adding to the deep pool of sublease offerings that have flooded the downtown office market. The direct lender recently began marketing all of the roughly 75,000 square feet it occupies across five floors at 150 South Wacker Drive for sublease, though the company plans to retain two floors for itself, according to a flyer. Ecker noted in reporting that if it can find a taker for the space that it wouldn't keep, it would cut its downtown Chicago office footprint by nearly one-third, as the company also occupies about 53,000 square feet in the neighboring building at 100 South Wacker Drive. But the listing pushes the amount of downtown office space available for sublease past 8 million square feet, according to data from real estate services company CBRE, and that's up from about 6 million a year ago and 3.3 million when the pandemic first began. The increase, fueled by the normalization of remote and hybrid work, is a large reason that the amount of available space in the central business district stands at a record high. Office landlords that were already reeling from companies trying to get rid of unwanted workspace have recently seen an uptick in the trend as tech companies have announced waves of mass layoffs and recession worries have bubbled up. In two of the highest profile additions to the Chicago sublease market, Salesforce and Facebook parent company Meta listed a combined 125,000 square feet of their downtown offices on the secondary market. Ecker noted that it's unclear what prompted Golub Capital to add to the mix, and a spokesperson for the company didn't respond to a request for comment. But Golub, a private credit firm that provides loans to private equity-backed borrowers, is one of several such firms that have benefited from banks tightening up lending. Golub's lease in the building runs through November of 2028, according to the flyer from Gibraltar Real Estate, which is marketing the space on behalf of the firm. 
Ecker noted in reporting that Golub has been in the building since 2006 and is the second largest tenant across the neighboring properties at 100 and 150 South Wacker. The buildings combined were 75% leased as of the end of November, down from 83% at the end of 2021, according to the prospectus. Charles Schwab is the largest tenant, with more than 145,000 square feet on a lease expiring at the end of 2027. The properties generated $16.8 million in net cash flow during the 12 months ending in November, also according to the marketing materials. Bloomberg reported that soaring ticket prices are lining the pockets of the world's largest airlines, providing relief to the economic wounds suffered during earlier stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. But as the industry takes off, airports say they've been left behind. Flying will be far more expensive this summer, according to corporate travel manager American Express Global Business Travel, which analyzed tens of thousands of client transactions on international flights to and from Asian destinations. A typical New York to Hong Kong flight in economy class costs more than twice as much this year as in 2019, and almost a third more than last year. Bloomberg noted that major carriers heading to this week's annual meeting of the International Air Transport Association have for the most part enjoyed a quick recovery. Fares have been bolstered by tight capacity going into travel's peak season and customers that are eager to book, often upgrading to more expensive tickets. British Airways owner IAG posted a surprise quarterly profit last month and raised its outlook for the full year. Dubai's Emirates Airlines and Singapore Airlines also both reported record earnings, with Australia's Qantas Airlines on course to follow suit. But airports, meanwhile, have continued to struggle, lacking the same flexibility to raise prices on fees and tariffs that are fixed, regulated, or commercially negotiated. London Heathrow Airport, the home base of British Airways, has warned of ongoing losses and is withholding dividend payments to its owners. Dublin Airport is also wrestling with regulators and airlines on the increase in fees that it can charge airlines. Irish low-cost powerhouse Ryanair Holdings, a major tenant, routinely threatens to leave over such costs. Bloomberg noted that the discount carrier has also scaled back in Germany, saying that high airport fees there make operations unsustainable. Airports say that a divide of fortunes is holding back investment after staff shortages and other snags caused backups that upended many travelers' vacations last summer. From terminal expansions to runway extensions, electrification, and the installation of upgraded scanning devices, airports are continuing to put resources into their facilities. But as Bloomberg also noted, the frequent jousting over airport landing fees intensified during the pandemic. Airlines received more direct financial support during earlier phases of the pandemic and now have the freedom to quickly raise prices. But in the background of the rift between airlines and airports is a peak travel season just getting underway. In Asian countries such as China, international flights have recently reopened after tighter COVID restrictions. Airlines, airports, and ground services providers have held meetings and turned up hiring to avoid disruptions like those that took place in Europe and the U.S. last year. However, as all that unfolds, travelers will be paying more. Economy and business class passengers on the most in-demand corporate routes are seeing higher prices this year. That according to the analysis from American Express.
That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Danny Ecker. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.